0: My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another
1: episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today, I have a very special guest that I talked to, Colleen Christensen of no.food.rules on Instagram. Um, Colleen has the biggest Instagram following that I've ever interacted with someone with that big of a following. I just literally pulled up her account, and she has 250,000 followers on Instagram, which if you know me and my social media anxiety slash not feeling confident on it. And anyway, so she's got a really big following, but in all seriousness though, she is really doing an excellent job of talking about concepts that sometimes people shy away from that um, all of us want to understand. Like, how does intuitive eating relate to weight loss or weight set point And what is a biological set point? Or she calls it set point weight. Um, so we have a really great conversation today. And um, I know I learned a lot and I know that you're going to too. So we are going to, in this episode, we're going to cover Colleen's history with an eating disorder, how she healed it, and How she came to doing this work. We talk about the main things that helped her break out of the diet cycle and what she would do differently now, knowing what she knows now, or how she would do it differently if she did it over. We talk about a question that I get all of the time, which is what is set point weight and how do you find your set point weight? Um, You may, if you've heard me talk about it on the podcast, I use the term. Biological set point, but um, it's all referring to the same thing. So, the, you're going to love that part of the conversation. We talk about cru- crucial shifts that she sees people make to help them get over their fears of weight gain and how not to let those fears impact their reconnecting with the intuitive eater inside of them, if you will. And we talk a little bit about the pros. I had to ask her about social media because I just get curious. I think as someone who would feel a lot of pressure if I had that many followers on social media, I just wanted to know if that was the case for her. And I don't think it's the case. I think she just like loves what she does and does such a good job with it. So we talk a little bit about the pros and cons of social media, both for the person's learning about intuitive eating on there, as well as. For the social media influencer, influencers. So, we touch on all of this. It's a really fun conversation, and I can't wait for you to
0: listen. All right, let's dive in. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought, they will notice I've gained weight, or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed, if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind, consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper, or typing on your phone, is required for true, lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So, it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's drhondor pcom forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Motivation
1: Made Easy podcast. So excited for my conversation today with Colleen. I have... I probably have been following you for a little while. I had someone inside my community actually tell me about you. And um, so I'm so glad to connect with you, to hear more about you as a person, but also to learn from your experiences in this, doing this intuitive eating work. I think we have a lot of really great things to talk about today. So welcome and happy to have you.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat.
1: Good. So, um, I'd love to just start with, can you tell us and me, because I do not know you well at all, some of your story, your background, how you came to doing this
2: work? Yes. So... My story in terms of intuitive eating really started around college, and I find this is a very common theme for not only myself, but for my audience, the members of my community, is our relationships with food really start, there's a trigger. And it's typically a big life change or something, you know, happened, some sort of big Disruption or need to find another way to cope. And for me, that was in college. So I, I mean, if we have this is like an onion. We could peel back so many layers. <laughs> I, in high school, I was, I think this really goes down to my personality too. I was kind of the, I was never a studious person. Let's say in high school, I was much more of kind of like the jock, um, and I always wanted to socialize, just hang out with my friends. And so when I got to college, it was kind of this really big shock for me. And I knew I wanted to become a registered dietitian because I've always loved food. Like that's honestly, a lot of people have these big stories, and there's like I didn't want to work in an office setting. You know, I wanted to do something different, um, and I like to eat. So. Boo! my mom suggested it. And I was like, awesome, let's go for it. So mm-hmm. I did that. Um, but I think what really spurred the issues with food that arose with me was not necessarily that I was studying to be a dietitian. I think that was just something like that randomly coincided, but it was, I needed some control and I just felt so out of control with now. I like, how do I navigate? All I do is study. It was just like the shock to the system. Um, for me. And I was also away from my friends. I was away from my family and I turned to restricting first, um, as a way to control. So it started off just like, like so many people, so innocent, you know, I'm going to, Oh, maybe I I specifically remember this one time at the cafeteria. I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't need the second donut. Like, uh, you know, it started to kind of slowly restrict that way. And then it just, snowballed. And the next thing I knew I was micromanaging every calorie in my fitness pal setting these insane, you know, limits for myself. And that continued for the next about two years in college. And then I realized like, I can't do this. I felt horrible. I had no energy. It was time consuming. It was all encompassing. And those around me were starting to notice as well. Um, I was not looking nourished. I was cranky all the time. I was not a pleasant person in so many ways. And I, like I said, I just felt like, how can I keep living like this. Like it is consuming my life. So I knew something had to change. So I was like, you know what? I'm done restricting my food. I'm going to work on this. And what happened at that point? So the last two years of college, I swung to the other end of the pendulum and I really became very obsessed with food. And now looking back, I understand this and we'll get into that's part of why I do what I do. But I started binge eating. Like, insane amounts of binge eating and purging. So it was just like, I went from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And I felt lost. I felt confused. I thought that I had to pick between those two evils and, you know, how am I going to find this balance? I didn't think it was possible for me. It took years of trial and error to figure it out. Lots of stuff that I like I said, it just took so long to actually figure it out. And I knew there had to be more. And luckily there is like, I, that's why I've stepped into doing what I do today is to help everyone find this piece with food. You can get to this point where food is easy, no matter if you have been through the more restrictive side of things, or I guess the more extreme side of things like I have, or it's just, I want to feel normal around food. I want to be able to make a loaf of banana bread and not feel like I'm going to eat the entire thing in one sitting obsessively or feel an insane amount of guilt. If I take one bite of it, it's Mm -hmm. allowing food to be normal again. So like I said, through this process of a lot of trial and error, a lot of years where I did a lot of learning, I've gotten to this place where food is, normal to me. I don't count anything. I don't binge anything. Food is food. That's, that's it. It's exciting. Yes. I would consider myself a foodie. I love to cook, but it's not all consuming. I have so much more to give to my life than obsessing over food and my body and my weight. And as a result, that has honestly transformed the person that I am today. I am healthier because of it. I'm stronger because of it, um, mentally and physically, cause my body's actually nourished in a way that feels good. I, like I said, I'm also a nicer person. I have never, I, people always ask me, I, if you watch my Instagram stories, I'm always like dancing in my kitchen, dancing with my dog. <laughs> I was not that person when I was consumed with food. And that's part of what spurred me to make this my career was because I know how good it is to get to this point where you feel alive. You feel like yourself again, when you're not obsessing about your food and your body. And I never saw this as my career ever. I always Mm -hmm. thought that's going to be too close to home. Maybe it would be triggering for me. Um, so I actually started off my career as a registered dietitian, working in metabolic. So very, very fascinating to me. It's these very, very, very rare inborn errors of metabolism, these genetic disorders, where it's these very, very precise calculations that you have to do, um, very high risk for the patients going through these specific medical nutrition therapy that they have to go through. And, it was, like I said, fascinating work to me, but the more that I got into it, I was like, this is not where my passion lies. This is not what my, as cheesy as it sounds is not what my calling is. Yeah. And I just, the further that I got along in my recovery from disordered eating, I realized I have to step in and be that person that I didn't have because I started to realize so many people are struggling. And like I said, it took me years to figure this out. And if Mm -hmm. I could just go back and be like, Kelly, don't, don't try that because it's not going to work. If I could just save someone from, I can specifically remember just like the low feeling of, after a binge or after restricting, you know, just like I can't keep doing this. Is this what the rest of my life looks like? The answer is no. The rest of your life doesn't have to look like that. Yeah. And if like I said, if I could have just had someone tell me, okay, don't do this, do this. And it would have helped me get there a lot faster, a lot less painfully, mm-hmm. then I started to realize like oh, you have to step into this, you know, be the person that you didn't have. So that's what I do today. Um and really I focus on intuitive eating and nutrition, and finding this balance between the two, because I think that's something that is really missing in the intuitive eating space is how, yes, like there's so many pictures of cupcakes and cookies and yes, that's absolutely amazing. We need that, but how do we marry this with nutrition and health and not become obsessed with it? And that's mm-hmm. something that like, even as I'm talking right now, I can like feel it in my soul is like lighting me up. <laughs> that's amazing um, yeah. So that's what I do today inside of my membership, the society. It's a society of women who actually eat. There's a little plan words there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. I have uh,
1: so many questions, but as you're talking, I'm like, what is the most important for the listeners? Because I'm like, wait, I want to know this and this. Okay. But what, what I want to know, what I think is most important to know is like, what do you think was the thing that was holding you back? for so long that you want people to know?
2: When I was working through, when you were stuck in the cycle
1: still, like, cause it sounds like you were in the cycle, all of college, really Mm -hmm. restriction and then binge eating more at the end and then stuck in it for sounds like many years, maybe beyond that. And, and
2: what was the factor that you think was keeping you stuck? Yeah. So a couple of things that I really teach is it's a psychological and a biological thing. And If I could go back, what I would change is I would focus first on the biological side of things. And I think that a lot of people get this confused in the fact that when we're thinking about normalizing food, like I said, it's biological and psychological. So if I would have, I'm literally like laying it all all out for you here right now, guys. So if I would have gone back, I would have first made sure that I understood my hunger and fullness cues before trying to break all my food rules and to for focus more on what i call kind of more the psychological side of things making peace with food right because I'm specifically thinking of this chocolate cake instance that I had in college I sat down to a chocolate cake and I was like I'm gonna allow myself to eat this chocolate cake I'm gonna enjoy it of course I'm gonna eat the whole thing and not know when to stop if my body needs energy it's undernourished um, if I don't have strong hunger and fullness cues I'm not going to be able to know when to stop. Right. And I just remember feeling such intense shame and guilt after that and feeling like I was broken because I felt so uncomfortable, both physically and mentally. So had I done focused on that first, and then also something that was really helpful for me is taking more baby steps. And that's really the foundation of everything I teach today is especially with social media. It's so glamorized to do everything polarizing, right. To do everything in the, like the most, not absurd way, but you know, the most dramatic way possible. So stack your pantry, break all your food rules again, like, okay, I'm going to allow myself to eat all my previously deemed bad foods or the foods that I felt guilty eating. And I think that that's typically too overwhelming for most people. So had Mm. I done it more stepwise, eased myself into it a little more, that would have helped me feel less pressure mentally and less anxiety there, but also physically, because it's a toll that it takes on your body when you change that many things at once. Um, so I think that breaking it down in that way, if I could go back and do anything differently, it would be for breaking those two things up, focusing more on the biological first, and then going to the more psychological, making peace with food and doing it in that more stepwise way.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, we're like jumping almost to like what to do, but mm-hmm. I think that's so important because um as I've done this podcast, I've I've sort of healed from my journey many years ago, but I reflect on my own journey a lot more now and one thing that for me at least once I read intuitive eating, I had a decent relationship with food. Like I had worked and found a lot of solutions that felt a lot close they were almost intuitive eating, but they weren't and I was mm-hmm. really gearing towards that. So for me, reading intuitive eating was like the final thing I needed to give that permission, but I was pretty in touch with like hunger fullness. I had mm-hmm. a pretty good relationship with exercise and, um, I was never very restrictive or low weight. So f- that is a really a great example and helpful to, I hope for listeners to know that like each journey is going to be different, mm-hmm. right? Like based on different factors, but, yes the biological piece is missing many many times and sometimes i think it gets lost in like don't focus on weight loss but really what we're talking about is reconnecting with physiological Mm -hmm. cues is what you're saying and that's really hard to do when we're focused on weight loss first Mm -hmm. of all um but i think that's so important and then of course also yes what you said of like this patience which is hard valuing consistency over intensity and doing all the things. Um, so, all right, that's a wrap where the podcast is over. No,
2: <laughs> no I think that was so good. Though. I think there's one other thing that's important too. You'll hear a lot of times, like I, there's it trying intuitive eating, and then there's actually doing the work. And I think that that's also kind of what was missing. Like we just go through the motions. We do what we think we should want to be doing, but there's a lot of things that we need to unpack. So a lot of things of thinking about like, why did I start this in the first place? For me, it was that sense of control. So I knew I had to make sure that I had other coping mechanisms for my stress and for that. But then also it it's so deep rooted in okay, this is where a lot of people get stuck is, okay, I'm allowing myself to eat these things, but now I don't like my body. We also have to work on that body image side of things as well. So there's a lot of different things that we have to make sure that we are focusing on. It's not as always with food, it's not just about the food. Um, And again, that's, I think that making sure that we are touching, you can't really, I always say, you can't really focus on improving your relationship with food. If you're not focusing on improving your, relation- improving your relationship with what you put that food into.
1: Yeah. Improving your relationship with yourself and mm-hmm. looking at your life more broadly because yeah, it was never really about the food, but we definitely feel like it is. Right. Yes. And, uh, yes. And that, that looks, that's very individualized. Right. And, and mm-hmm. that's the work and that's <laughs> uncomfortable. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I think that's Incredibly crucial and it can feel like a lot. So that's why we break it down. <laughs> we do exactly one little thing this week and feel great about that thing, whatever that is, or, you know, one little thing today, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever feels doable. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, and you, you kind of touched on, uh, already the body image piece, because I, I want to talk about some of the themes that people struggle with most in, in terms of, Doing intuitive eating, <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I'm gonna throw a few out there that and you can add a few more, but like body image and and struggling with not focusing on weight, I would say are the biggest ones that I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree? Is that similar with your experience? Or is there anything you would
2: add? Absolutely. I think that weight is it's it's the biggest thing that holds people back from intuitive eating. And a lot of times it is not necessarily the sole reason why we turn to dieting, but it is a big part of that as well. There's again, dieting is like onion. We got, there's so many different layers. there. typically stems from why do we want to lose weight in the first place? Do I want to feel validation? Do I want to feel like I'm worthy? Do I want to feel like I'm successful at something? Like I'm good at something, but that weight is tied to something else, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But yes, Mm -hmm. weight in the fear of gaining weight is something that is huge. I would say the fear that they're going to become unhealthy is something too. And that's a whole thing in itself, like dismantling health from weight Mm -hmm. and just this fear and i understand it because i mean look what happened to me i let myself you know go from restricting to allowing everything and all i did was eat chocolate cake and people think that's going to happen forever and i understand why that is because that's what we've been that's what we've seen as our proof of when we go off of a diet and we feel like we can't trust ourselves because, okay, yeah. well, I was on the diet. And so something's wrong with me because when I stopped it, I can't you know control this. But what people, what's hard to wrap our minds around is that the diet or the food rules or the lifestyle, whatever you're calling it is what's causing that. And if we get rid of the lifestyle diets, food rules, whatever you want to call it, Our we can trust our bodies. Our bodies can self-regulate. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around that.
1: Yeah. It's so confusing for so many people because um, I I would say I was pretty confused because I really was doing mostly healthy lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. It it was, mine was like a little bit more subtle, you would say. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you hear a lot of people that have that experience too. And it's like, it's, it's so tricky because mm-hmm. they were like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Uh, and, and yet it does not take much healthy lifestyle change, AKA mental restriction to prompt yes. binge eating and, or, and, or just like guilt eating. Like yes. I had full on binge eating, but like some people just have sort of grazing and feeling out of control in a milder behavioral leap. It didn't, no one would really know except them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's so tricky. And so, can be hard to understand because they're like, oh yeah. no, something something's deeply wrong with me look there's something yes. about my character or my and brain even
2: yeah even mental restriction or the impending thought of a diet can cause you to binge right there's actually different things that can happen in our body that's going to both biologically and psychologically, increase your drive to eat that food, even if you are not on a diet, but if you're like, oh, maybe I'll start a diet on Monday or in the new year, like even thinking that is setting yourself up to be like, okay, well, I've got to get this now. It increases your brain's motivation and reward response for eating more food. So It's like I said, it's, it's so deep and it's so there's biological and psychological sides of it. Uh, But yeah, even that, that mental restriction can have profound effects.
1: Yes, absolutely. And can we talk for a moment about uh, what I often say biological set point? I think you use the term set point weight, because you talk Mm -hmm. a lot about this and I love it because one of the things I've loved about watching what, how you talk about things is you talk about normalizing the conversation about weight, first of Mm -hmm. all, but then, and then you talk about set point weight. So can you tell Mm -hmm. people what they need to know about their weight set point and how it can be helpful to them and empowering?
2: Yes, absolutely. So essentially a set point weight, um, is, the weight that our body wants to be, the weight that it feels best at mentally and physically, and the weight that it can maintain effortlessly within a range. So a set point weight is about 10 to 20 pounds. Fluctuation is so normal, you guys. Do we have
1: good research on that? I haven't seen good research like to know about the range.
2: Yes. So there's a bunch bunch of studies. Health at Every Size is a really good book um, that has tons of statistics in it. It's Um, been a while
1: since I read it. And so I guess I just... I, I was just curious, like I'm a numbers person, right? So I'm always like, how big is the range? But anyways, side yes. note. typically, yes. I mean, it's obviously take
2: that with a grain of salt. It's going to be different for everyone, for but sure. yeah. our set point ranges can also change throughout life as well. So it's natural mm-hmm. for them to potentially increase as we get older. That's a very normal thing. It's also normal for our body shapes itself to change throughout life. I've definitely noticed that in the past few years with myself, um, my body shape just looks different. That's not wrong. That is literally just something that happens throughout life. So yeah. in terms of the weight, like I said, our bodies can self-regulate that. And it's just that we've been taught that they can't. And essentially what happens when we, I want you guys to think about, I'm, I'm a very big analogy person analogy person. So it's kind of like a thermostat. If our weight gets too low, which is typically what happens when we try to diet, our bodies are like, "Okay, I need to turn this up a little bit and we're going to store on a little bit more energy." So it's going to lead you to eat more than you need to make up for that. And then also your brain's going to think, "Oh my gosh, like if this happens again, I need to have some extra energy on, you know, on deck that I can pull from." Mm-hmm. So that's how our set point weights can increase throughout dieting cycle. So what Mm -hmm. people will notice is that as they diet, their weight's going to creep up. And that essentially could be your, as a result of, you know, the the cycling that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's that weight cycling itself is where a lot of negative health effects come from is the yo-yoing the up and down. Um, There's so many fascinating studies that will take, you know, people who are, there's one specific study where people are people in larger bodies and they compared the health of them and those who had just been at that size did not have yo-yo dieting. This goes back to people say, oh, it's it's the weight itself. Um, it's not. They had great health, but the people who were at that same size and they were yo-yo dieters, their weight had gone up and down. They had more risks for health conditions. So it is a lot of times that weight cycling that is causing those issues. So mm-hmm. like I said, essentially we have these set point weights. And for me, that is the quote unquote goal. And it's funny because people, ask me, okay, well, how do I find this magical set point weight? It's mm-hmm. by not focusing on weight. So I, it sounds like, well, how do I do that? It's, I know. Do we want, yeah, to I think you had like a
1: challenge weight? or something that someone had heard about. And I was like, in my mind, you almost picture like, well, Colleen's going to give us like a formula. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's not how it works.
2: Yes it's, <laughs> that'd be about, cool. <laughs> yes. it's about focusing on the way that your body feels. So when we say, mm-hmm. how do I find this set point weight? I I can't tell you what it's going to be, right? It's going to be whatever makes you feel your best, where you feel energized, where you're listening to your hunger and fullness cues. And just like our shoe sizes are different, we can't decide, okay, well, you know what? I'm a size eight in my shoe. I really want to be a size six. So I'm going to be making make myself a size six shoe. That's not going to happen, right? I'm not going to cut off my toes, but essentially that's kind of what we're trying to do when we are trying to force our bodies force to be it. smaller than they want. And they're going to rebound because of that. So how we find this set point weight, like I said, is focusing on how we feel. Do I feel energized? Am I implementing basic gent nutrition, honoring my hunger and fullness cues, moving my body in a way that feels good. And it's possible to be below at or above your set point weight. So that's something that when people ask me, you know, well, how do I know if I, am at my set point weight, which I can, we can kind of talk to, but like I said, weight gain, loss and maintenance can all happen. And it's also not a linear process to get to that weight. A lot of times people will have this kind of honeymoon phase at the beginning of their intuitive eating journey, which is normal, but sometimes I feel like people get caught there. People stop there and they don't know how to get out of it, which is a lot of the population that I work with. Um, and it's, Allowing ourselves to take it full circle and make sure that we are implementing everything to find that set point weight, the weight that our body feels best at, because it's not a number that we're focusing on. It's more of a feeling. And like I said, getting to that weight is not necessarily linear. Sometimes we might have an increase and then maybe you, maybe you do stay there, right? Maybe someone needed to gain weight to get, to be at a place where their body felt good. Someone else, maybe they have some initial weight gain and then they come back down and they ended up where they started. Someone else might end up lower than where they started. And the thing is, is none of those are good. None of those are bad. They're all just outcomes. And that's really what the goal is with the whole set point weight idea. We're focusing on the behaviors that we're doing and not the weight itself. And that's how we get to our healthiest self, right. Is focusing on, yes, if someone starts to move their body and they start to incorporate fruits and vegetables and they, you know, weren't doing that before, maybe they will lose weight. Right. But that's not the goal. And I think that's one of the hardest things to accept or change our mindset on when it comes to set point weights.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful. And, um, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of what you've seen in terms of the mindset shifts that people are able to make and what can really help them turn that corner that I would say is, as we were talking before we hit record, probably one of the biggest stuck points, like you said, people have that. And when you say honeymoon phase, I think you're referring to just to clarify for the listeners, like when you're allowing all foods, it can be really exciting, right? Cause mm-hmm. if, and so you're eating more than normal and that can sometimes lead to weight gain and that leads to a lot of fear and anxiety mm-hmm. about um, and often people that I work with, it is specific. There is a fear of weight gain for societal pressure reasons and and body image reasons, but there's also fear of health concerns, right? Mm-hmm. Of like common ones that I hear, like worrying about heart disease and worrying mm-hmm. about like family risk factors and things like that. But I mean, yeah. Can you talk through just some of the ways that people you've seen people shift and and experience that sort of freedom on the other side and um, some of the ways that we can help people get there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that Like I said, I think one of the biggest things to do that has helped most people is to first not don't overwhelm yourself. That is where it gets, okay, where do I go from here? And you get stuck in that honeymoon phase is when you start to do all the things at once, because everything Mm -hmm. is novel. And one thing that we really work on is the process of habituation. So this is really the process that I teach to make peace with food. And essentially that is allowing yourself to be exposed. It's essentially exposure therapy, right? We're Mm -hmm. exposing ourselves to something and we're going to normalize it. And then, but if we're doing all of these things at once, which is what many people do, everything's new, everything's novel and it feels very overwhelming. So I think that again, one of the biggest things that we can do to kind of prevent that, it's almost like, I I want to help people in my specific mind. I'm like, I want to help people not feel like I did with that chocolate cake where I'm like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't feel comfortable mentally or physically and that's really breaking it down and i think that going back to how does my body feel like do do i feel good in the way that i'm eating and what can i do to adjust that if not to make myself feel better when we tackle so many different things at once i'm going to stock my pantry with all the previously deemed bad foods then How are you going to know what one thing to change if you just changed a million things at once? And so that's where people get so frustrated because they're like, I don't know what to do. So my biggest recommendation is if you're feeling you're at that place, I always say, let's go back. Okay, let's just rewind and we're going to start just kind of start over, right? We're going to understand what foods you know, go back to the basics, hunger and fullness. Let's start there. Do I understand those hunger and fullness cues? And then start to really work through your food rules more one at one, one by one focus on them. Cause then you can start to say, okay, you know what? This food makes me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. And just focusing on the way that our bodies feel is really how we find our set point weight, because if we're only focusing on the funness of it and, you know, the excitement of allowing ourselves these foods, we're not actually in tune with our bodies. And that's where people get stuck kind of in that messy middle. Did I answer that? Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, I think that's so crucial. It's, it's about setting yourself up to build self-trust in these small moments, right. Mm -hmm. Of being able to like, and, and breaking it down. So going back to what we said, what you said at the beginning of Hungerfulness first, that's the foundation. Mm-hmm. And then versus again, I think at least maybe this is just my own misconception, but sometimes like uh, this idea of they hear intuitive eating, they hear unconditional permission to eat sort of like they're mm-hmm. there. Those are things are, feel very fused in some ways. And that is down the road. Like mm-hmm. that is, or we're not even necessarily down the road per se, but it's, that's where we unpack the specific food rules because that can be very overwhelming. Like you mm-hmm. said, if you're getting all the things in that you used to not have, it depends on mm-hmm. where you're at. And that may be appropriate for some people um, if they read intuitive eating after they've done a bunch of other work potentially, mm-hmm. um, or if they start this process a little bit later on in the journey. Yes. So yeah, I think that's very, very crucial. So thank you. And mm-hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about social media because mm-hmm. you have a lot of social media followers. Um so I want to get your take on kind of the pros and cons of social media. I would say both as someone learning about these concepts and also for yourself as like the social media influencer really I don't know how you feel <laughs> about that term but that's essentially you're influencing and teaching mm-hmm. people and so I just want to I want to have a conversation about that.
2: Yeah, I love this. So I grapple with social media and the intuitive eating space a lot. And I think this is honestly probably the second or third time I've had this conversation today. Um, Yeah. Because it's just like, it's so polarizing and it's leading people. What I'm noticing now is that everyone is, okay, I'm letting myself eat the things. I'm letting myself do this. And they're like, but I don't know where to go from here. Like, I, a lot of people will say I've gained all of this weight and I'm not saying that weight gain is bad at all. Um, but like, I don't feel good. I am not feeling my body in a way that feels good. I don't know how to implement nutrition anymore. Like I, I, this just feels as uncomfortable as dieting did. And, uh, it like, I'm getting like so heated right now because I'm like, that's not intuitive eating. That is not intuitive. Like I think that we do need a little bit of this entitlement at the beginning of the process to allow ourselves to feel comfortable eating those things. But I think that social media oversimplifies it so much. And yes, Mm -hmm. I think that we do need to work on releasing this obsession that we have with eating quote unquote healthy and all of these, these crazy things that we're doing, but that doesn't mean we have to go to the other end of the spectrum and say that. Oh, you know what it, intuitive ear you know, nutrition doesn't matter because if someone is in my mind, not implement into nutrition is one of the principles of intuitive eating. And if mm-hmm. you are just forgetting that one and deciding I'm not going to implement that, you're not actually eating intuitively. So, mm-hmm. I think that you might be on the path there, but there's more work that needs to be done. Um, So I think that that's, I think my biggest grapple with it. And it breaks my heart because I, like I said, get these messages all the time and it makes people want to quit. And I think that's really what breaks my heart is because I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just, you you're on your path there. It's just, you may have taken a little bit of a detour. Um, like I did. And that's where I'm like, okay, that's why I created my membership. That's why I do the work Mm -hmm. that I do is because I want to help people realize you don't have to be stuck there. This, there is these more stepwise process way to get there. And it's just, uh, it's social media is so polarizing. I mean, the more extreme things rise to the top. Um, and you know, that's just the nature of it. So I would just say, be cautious of what you are following on social media. Definitely actually read the intuitive eating book. Um, you know, again, I feel like also intuitive eating is becoming such like a common phrase that Mm -hmm. it's almost like, so watered down, people don't know what it actually is. So just be cautious in, trust yourself you know what feels good to you you know what doesn't feel good to you and don't try to just follow what you think you see on these little squares yes they can be i mean i post them right they're amazing information but we yeah. have to go with our guts in the end of things and understand this is feels in alignment with me or this doesn't and understand that you have body autonomy to realize okay you know what this piece of information or this style of eating really worked for someone else, but what works for me and what makes me feel our best. I think, I think maybe that sums it up. Like our body autonomy and attunement just feels like it gets so lost.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, it's, it's good and bad that we're having this conversation. Cause I think we're having this conversation with people that are already do listening to this podcast. So they're already having the more nuanced approach and they're mm-hmm. already working to understand it in a nuanced way. And that, um, I kind of asked this question because when I first got into entrepreneurship, I was like, Ooh, social media was my least favorite thing. It Mm -hmm. probably still is because I felt that polarization. I felt it more in the, um, the professional space. Like, Mm -hmm. and I, I think I'm still, I came from healthcare and preventive cardiology and bariatric surgery and this work, and it's trying to infuse it and figure out who I am. And so I think that's as us as, professionals. Mm-hmm. But then I I was, I was asked the question somewhat because with as big of a following as you have, that's got to be not only taxing on you, but also we're not actually communicating it to the people that maybe need to hear it. And I'm sure you mm-hmm. are communicating it to those people too, but like, yeah, don't give up, but also take those conversations off social media and bring them into a more nuanced space, like your mm-hmm. membership or like a place where we can have these conversations where we can see and hear tone of voice and 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 look at the complexities here because Mm -hmm. that is the sad part is that social media is about capturing tiny bits of attention and um I actually follow I I don't follow that many people like in actually personally at all I don't really use social media personally um much I mean a, a tiny bit but I followed someone who had a bunch of followers she's a PA talked about motherhood and I followed her when I uh, became a mom and um, she just this month left social media completely because of Mm -hmm. the impact on her mental well-being and it's just tough because it's you're doing you're doing amazing work and so it's like so important and yet like there's just this really tough like you said polarization that's kind of unavoidable I think Mm -hmm. I don't know maybe it's not but it seems unavoidable in those snapshots and Mm -hmm. I don't know like how you think about all of that. I was just curious like your thoughts on. I mean you already kind of shared but yeah.
2: Yeah, and I can so relate. I mean in terms of like what social media is like for me like on a personal level like using it for my work like it is I love it. Like I'm on Instagram all the time. Um, because I, I am so fired up about this message, but I'd be lying if, if I said there aren't times where I'm just like beat. And the last thing I want to do is hop on an Instagram story. And I think that if anyone is feeling that it's don't try to like fight through it people, especially if you have a community online, they're going to understand when you just need a break. Um, sometimes when I, will post something like, I'm just feeling so exhausted today. Or I'm feeling burnt out with social media. People are like, just get off. Like we're going to be here. Like we're not going anywhere. Um, yeah but then, I mean, there's so many, so many things. Like I also have had to realize that there are people who aren't going to see things the same way that I do. And especially, you know, some people don't like that I talk about judge nutrition as much as I do because they don't think that it's something that needs to be talked about enough or as much as I do, or doesn't need to be the focus. And Mm -hmm. I think that just comes down to knowing in yourself what's right for you um, and understanding your message, which takes, I mean, time to, To get used to. But I think that when you can be in such alignment with yourself is when it gets easier and it gets fun and is when honestly you make the most impact with it.
1: Yeah. That's such, that's great. I mean, that's such an important message and I'm glad your community is sort of like take care of yourself and reminding Mm -hmm. you that, but it sounds like you also kind of trust yourself to say like, Mm -hmm. I, and that's what we're all about here is like learning to take in information and then ultimately figure out how does this map onto my experience and that Mm -hmm. could be with eating or social media or anything um but but that's that's a hard process you have to be self-aware to do that and you have to look at stuff that's Mm -hmm. sometimes painful to look at to do that Mm -hmm. so but yeah clearly you're doing a lot of amazing work and reaching people in a way that you may never have without yes. what you're
2: doing and so that's It's crazy when you think about it. It's it's I'm very grateful for for the the work that I do because it is. I that's mean, awesome. you literally do get to reach so many people.
1: Wonderful. Um well, and so we're going to move to our uh questions that we ask everyone at the end. So the first one is our intrinsic motivation question. What is one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior, like you enjoy it, find it challenging or satisfying in its own right.
2: Um, I feel like honestly, just my whole career as in general. I mean, just this work with intuitive eating because I know how good it feels that I want everyone else to feel that way. And I enjoy the process and it marries my being able to be creative during the process. I mean, I love that. I'm always thinking, how can I explain this in a way that's gonna give people a giggle and entertain them, yet get this message across? Um, yeah. so I love that. I'm a big creative person and just kind of again just having fun with things and trying to think outside the box. That's where I, I feel like I really thrive.
1: That's great. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were just saying of like using social media on that. I do not feel that way about social (laughs) media. So it's like, that is, that's, that's great though, to know that about Mm -hmm. yourself. I, I feel that way about other creativity things. And then from, a should to a choose to, this is our integrated motivation question. Mm-hmm. So what's a behavior of something that was always a should for you that you struggled to do consistently, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently because you value it. It's part of your identity, even if you don't always love it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that two examples come to mind and hope this is what you're kind of asking for drinking water. I hate drinking water. Hate it. I uh-huh. hate plain water. And so that for me was kind of like getting, how can I make this more fun? I know I feel better when I drink water. I know yeah. my body needs it. Um, so for me, that looks like maybe I have been like rotating the different, like fun cups that I'll use to make it more fun using mm-hmm. flavorings, having tea, um, so that's just kind of, and also understanding like, why am I doing this? Cause I think when we say we should, it makes it a chore. And it's like, we all instantly turn into a five-year-old who's throwing a tantrum because they're told to pick up their toys. And it's not the act of picking up the toys. It's you told me to do it. So, you know, I'm going to rebel. It's thinking about why am I doing this? Another thing for me is journaling. I used to hate it. Um, I actually took a while off of it and then I realized, you know what, that was really helpful for me. Um, so I got back into it and journaling every day. It's not something, even this morning, my day was busy and I was like, do I really have time to do this? Um, I don't want to do it. And I was just like, you know what, just open it up. You know, you feel better when you do it. Um, and I did, and it was, it was easy. It took, you know, five, 10 minutes of my time, It allowed me to flush some things out. Um, so those are two things that, again, I don't always love doing it in the moment, but I understand afterwards. Okay. That was actually really helpful. Um, and it was, you know, something that I I want to keep doing.
1: Yeah. Those are both perfect examples of this idea of like unpacking it from like, you know, certainly diet culture tells us we should drink water, but saying like, I'm not, I'm not doing it for that reason. Mm -hmm. And, I still don't love it. So how do I integrate that into, Mm -hmm. yeah, being autonomously motivated in that? And how can I set myself up with systems that make it easier to do the thing I want to do? Yes. I
2: also think, too, I've been thinking about the idea of discomfort a lot lately. And I feel like us as humans, and especially the society we live in, like at the – first instinct of discomfort, we want to run, but it's kind of like, okay, well, we need to like sit with that for a second and think about that. And just because we feel discomfort doesn't mean that it's wrong, right? It just means, okay, we have to think about that a little bit more. Um, So I feel like anytime we feel resistance, we want to just immediately run the other way, but Kind of getting into that a little bit more. It's like, well, why do I feel this way? I'm feeling resistance to journaling because I don't feel like I don't have time. Is that true, first of all? And you know, is this actually gonna help me in the long run feel more comfortable? Like I feel like it's, it's just there's so many things to unpack.
1: Yeah, no, that's a crucial point because like clarifying our values and tying our goals to our values is what we talk about all the time. That's how we build autonomous motivation. Mm-hmm. And it is inherently has to be uncomfortable. Like there Mm -hmm. literally isn't a way around it. (laughs) And yet, yeah, our brains don't like to do discomfort. Mm -hmm. So of course we want to jump out of that space. Yeah. That's such a important and crucial point that hopefully we can all practice working on. Mm. And then um, a main part of our mission here is, you know, in, uh, I guess my business and, and on this podcast is teaching women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous, connected lives. Can you share any one or two examples of where this has been the case for you since you've kind of jumped out of the ineffective diet cycle, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that courage comes from kind of like what we just talked doing things that feel uncomfortable in the moment and kind of like going against the grain. Um, I think that one thing that we can do to feel more courageous is just vocalize things in our true thoughts and our true feelings, whether if it's to those around us, whether it is to large social media platforms. I think that our words can be incredibly courageous and also for I think they help you step into your own power um, and you feel more confident as a result of that. But then others around you are going to understand more of who you are. You're not blending in. I feel like we always focus on doing the exact same things as other people. And really where the secret sauce is and where people stand out and where people excel is when they're different. They're talking about feeling these things or these thoughts that other people might not be saying or agreeing with, but it takes that courage to express that. Um, so I think kind of starting just like our words and sharing about things. And sometimes I feel that way with social media and intuitive eating. When I talk about gentle nutrition, right? Some people don't like I said, don't feel like, well, we need to be focusing more on getting people comfortable eating the donuts and giving themselves Mm -hmm. permission to eat. And I'm like, yes, but I also believe that people are getting stuck there. So I have the courage to express that whether people believe it or not, they can choose to unfollow me. I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea. um, And I might not be what everyone's needing. Maybe there are people out there who are not ready for the more gentle nutrition side of things, or, you know, they don't value that that's okay. They have autonomy not to, to want to do that. Um, but I think that what makes me light up is that having the courage to have a little bit of a different voice in the social media space has allowed me to impact thousands on thousands of lives. And that wouldn't have happened had I not have the courage to have a little bit different of a message than everyone else. So I think that just expressing your true beliefs is so courageous.
1: Yeah. I love that. Cause I, it sounds like there was some, some fear there, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's tempting to go with the grain. It's tempting mm-hmm. to do very similar things to what everyone is doing because there is safety in, in being in a, in a group and, mm-hmm. and knowing we belong here. And certainly, yeah, it's dipping your toe out of that in any shape or form is, is mm-hmm. scary. And yet very very important. So, yeah. well, I love that. Thank you so much for being here today. All of the impact you're you're making is incredible. It, it really is. And um where can people learn more about the work that you're doing and connect with you?
2: Yes, yeah, so I am at no.food.rules um on Instagram, TikTok, you can find my website nutrition.com. Um I'm on YouTube, podcast, all the places. Wonderful.
1: Well, thank you so much, Colleen, for being here and appreciate you. Yes, thank
0: you. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books. And I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U S and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes make sure you check it out you can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness but also about topics like courage vulnerability and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun downtime or some meaningful stories my recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology, and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes, or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com that's d-r-s-h-a-w-n-h-o-n-d-o-r-p.com forward slash bookshop thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here despite the title of this podcast many of our topics are not always easy change is hard and let's face it life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable that's why i'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen learn and keep an open mind i invite you to learn more by going to dr or finding me on instagram at psychology.of.wellness if you're enjoying this podcast it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.